These one-off tactics about should you have four sentences or eight sentences or all that sort of stuff, these one-off tactics have minimal impact on long-term retention. But again, donation page copy can greatly improve performance right at the point of conversion. And if we're not converting people well on the donation page, how can we ever expect them to retain well if we aren't doing the essential things to actually help them say yes at the point of giving? Welcome to the Responsive Nonprofit Podcast, brought to you by Virtuous. Responsive nonprofits are the organizations thriving in today's ever-changing fundraising landscape, leading with innovation to grow giving and impact. Join us each week in spirited conversation with the leading voices across philanthropy, fundraising, and nonprofit technology. Subscribe on your favorite station or visit us over at www.virtuous.org backslash podcast. Welcome back to the Responsive Nonprofit Podcast. This week, we are sharing one of our favorite sessions from our 2023 Responsive Nonprofit Summit, featuring Nathan Hill, the Vice President of Next After Institute, on his session on the most important ingredient in donor retention. Enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Virtuous. Are you stuck using outdated, slow, and redundant technology to power your nonprofit? It's time to make the switch. Virtuous gives your organization the fundraising, volunteer, and marketing tools you need to create a more responsive donor experience and grow giving. Want to learn more? Get a personalized demo today at virtuous.org demo. That's virtuous.org demo. about to hear isn't just some ideas that Nathan came up with one night while he was trying not to go to sleep. Nathan is more than just a researcher. I think of him as almost an ambassador for the donor, and he speaks to the fundraising community to not just tell you what they want, but tell you and teach you how to find out what they want. And they do this at Next After through research and experiments, and then they share their findings for free. But to make it all even more just wonderful, they package it with great presentation, great stories, and people like Nathan who can communicate with clarity, which is one of the key things that we need to understand what we need to do. So anyway, without further ado, Nathan, why don't you take it away? Thanks so much, Steven. Mm -hmm. That is a super kind introduction, very gracious. We're going to dive into talking about donor retention. And I don't think of myself as being all that smart and trying to decode what works in donor retention. But what we're trying to do is go listen to what the donors are telling us, because they are truly the experts that know what's going to work to lead to better donor retention. So we have to use the data to listen to what they're telling us. And that's really what we're going to start to unpack today. Hopefully by the end of this, we will have isolated the most important ingredient in donor retention, but there's a lot of data to unpack. The very first thing I want to do is talk about why donor retention is actually so important. And I'm sure that if you are here or have spent any time in the fundraising space at all, you know that retention is absolutely critical. So we won't spend too much time focused on why retention, because I think you already kind of know. But I think it's interesting to look at some of the more recent data that's come out. Just looking at the M&R benchmarks that came out just a couple of weeks ago, here's what they had found in terms of online donor retention for new online donors. In 2022, the average retention rate for an online one-time donor is 29%. 
You can see those past four years on this little bar chart in front of you. We haven't returned to pre-COVID levels here. 29% is not great. It's pretty low, but it's not all that surprising because it feels like we've sort of been stuck in this trend for a long time. When you look at the breakdown of overall versus new donors versus prior donors, a new one-time online donor retains at 16%. That's horrible. To just state that in a different way, only 16% of your new online donors are going to give to you again next year. All the time and energy and money that you invest to acquire all these new donors, only 16% are going to stick around. The odds of building a program that's sustainable based on those retention rates, that's so hard. It's nearly unsustainable. What I wanted to do as I was diving into some of this data around retention is also look as far back as I could find data on to see how long have we been dealing with this problem. You can look at me and know that I haven't been in this space for all that long, but for the entirety I've been in the nonprofit world, the fundraising world, we've been talking about donor retention. But how far back is this problem? I went to the Fundraising Effectiveness Project, and they have a 2012 fact sheet that has data recording back to 2005. And here's what they were reporting in 2005, is that for every 100 donors gained, these organizations were losing 82 of them. These are not great retention rates. These are really bad retention rates. It is nearly impossible to build a sustainable, let alone growing program based on this kind of retention. And so that's why retention is so important for us to really figure out. As a space, as a nonprofit space and sector, we've been talking about trying to solve this problem, again, for the entirety that I've been in it, but we haven't really seen any real inroads. I think things have only gotten worse. They haven't really gotten better despite new technologies and new platforms and all these new tactics and data around what tactics might work and what might not, we haven't really moved the needle on donor retention. So then this question, how do you actually go about decoding what really works to increase retention rates? And the way that I think we can start to approach it and that we're starting to approach it here at Next After is very similar to how you might decode, say, a secret family recipe. So I wanna tell you about my grandma. This is Grandma Kay called her Nana growing up. I talk about her with my kids. We call her Grandma Kay these days. That's my Grandpa Lou next to her. And fun fact about Grandma Kay, she is a second-generation Irish immigrant. Her father, so my great-grandfather, had joined the Irish Republic Army, and his mom, my great-great-grandmother, was worried he was going to get himself blown up. And so she sent him to come move to the United States, and that's how my mom's family came to the U.S. And you would probably expect that my grandma, being full-blooded Irish, would have a secret recipe for like something stereotypical, like corned beef and cabbage, or at least something like with potatoes in it. But what she was renowned for in our family is her magical recipe for spaghetti sauce. Probably not what you'd expect, but oh my goodness, her spaghetti sauce was incredible. And I remember as a kid always asking my mom to ask my grandma if she could make some when we would go to Christmas or Easter or any kind of family gathering. What she would do is make this stuff in bulk quantities and she would put it all in her deep freezer. And then all the family members that had requested it would come to Christmas or Easter or whatever the gathering was and then leave with a big Ziploc gallon bag full of spaghetti sauce. You got your next evening's dinner and it was just delicious. It has these big like chunks of Italian sausage in it. Not ground, not little slices, but like a whole, like thirds of a whole sausage link. It was like a little spicy. It's incredible. And as I was starting to learn how to cook, I wanted to figure out how does my grandma make this incredible spaghetti sauce that I love so much. And so I was able to get her to write down the recipe. 
And so I'm all excited to see the recipe and what's in it and all the, what are the measurements and, and how do I get it just right? And so she writes it down and it looks something like this. It's got you know base ingredients like onions and garlic and crushed tomatoes. Specifically, this is canned crushed tomatoes. There could be no, no other form of tomatoes. That's the way that she made it. Italian sausage, specifically spicy Italian sausage. It's got to be whole links, not ground stuff. It's got bay leaves in it. It's got oregano. All like the things that you would typically expect but it turns out she cooks exactly like I do, which means she doesn't measure anything. So there's no quantities, there's no measurements. You kind of know the base ingredients, but I'm left to my own devices to figure out how much of all these things go into the sauce. And there's absolutely no instructions on how to cook them. Are you dicing the onion? Are you grating the onion? Are you using garlic like it comes in the little jar thing? Are you using real garlic cloves that you're like mincing? There's no instructions. And so you have to take these base ingredients and start to test to figure out what's really the right way to package this all together to get to grandma's special spaghetti sauce. She did have a secret ingredient, which is not the most common spaghetti sauce ingredient. She would always put Worcestershire sauce in it. I hope I said that right. But again, it's, do you put in a tablespoon? Do you put in like half the bottle? I don't know. We got to test and we got to figure it out. I feel like we're in the same boat a lot of times as we're talking about donor retention. There's a lot of core ingredients that we know are going to be impactful, whether intuitively as fundraisers or because we've tested into them. Folks like Bloomerang have a lot of great data about the power of making a thank you call and the impact it can make on second gift and value of the donor. So we know that's important. We need to have a meaningful cause that someone can see investing in for the long term, not just in the short term. Recurring donations. We know that recurring donors are valuable and valuable for the long term. We know that we need strong donor relationships because if we don't have those, how can we expect the relationship to last? We need good technology to empower the right strategies. We need a donor cultivation strategies and approaches in order to develop those relationships over the long term. But are these all the right ingredients? Are there additional ones? How do you put them together? What's the right frequency to make thank you calls? What's the right tactics and approach and messaging and all those different things? We don't know how to put these together. What's the proven formula? And then is there a Worcestershire sauce secret ingredient that needs to go into this picture as well? We don't know. We have to ask the right questions and look at the data to really figure this out. So at Next After, we do one thing. We help nonprofits grow their digital fundraising. And we do that in three main ways. First of all, we're a research lab. We go out and we become mystery donors, and we're going to donate to a bunch of different organizations, map the whole donation experience to put ourselves in the shoes of the donor and feel what they feel when they give a donation, which uncovers lots of new ideas that we can go test. Because looking at what nonprofits are doing doesn't actually tell us what works. It just gives us new hypotheses and ideas that we put to the test, largely through our Digital First fundraising agency, where we're trying to use statistics and data and A-B testing to decode exactly what works and what doesn't to grow giving. And then we take all of those learnings and we package them up in training like this to go equip you and as many nonprofits, fundraisers, marketers in the nonprofit space as we can with what's working to grow giving and increase generosity. Now, we're trying to combine, for the sake of decoding donor retention, two different things here, because we can use the mystery donor research process to see what do donors actually experience. But what we wanted to do is combine this type of research with actual performance data on donor retention to see how are nonprofits performing in terms of retention rates and see if we can blend these two together to uncover what actually works to improve retention. So we partner with Virtuous to look at real retention performance data from many different organizations. But here's what we're trying to do. We're looking at the donor experience 
comparing to how are these nonprofits actually performing in terms of retention. And somewhere in the middle, we're going to find at least ideas and clues as to what the right ingredients might be and what combinations and frequencies and all that sort of thing are going to be to lead to greater retention rates. So what I have today to debut to you is a preview of a brand new study called the Comprehensive Online Donor Retention Benchmark Report. Not a mouthful to say at all. And the first part of this report, this is going to be some research that happens over the next year plus. But the first part of this is trying to understand how does the value proposition come into play in terms of retaining donors? And that's what we're going to explore. So we've analyzed 211 nonprofit organizations looking at donor retention KPIs from our friends here at Virtuous, as well as analyzing the full donation experience of these organizations to feel what it feels like to be a donor. And where I want to start first in unpacking this together is with the essentials, kind of high-level metrics, high-level observations about these organizations and see, are there trends that we can already start to pick out before we even dive into the details of communication and messaging and the donor experience? So the very first question that we asked as we started to get into this data is, is donor retention a function of the size of an organization, whether it's revenue or it's reach through things like web traffic? And so to break this data down, what we did was we took all 211 organizations and we divided them into three categories. We basically cut it into thirds and we said, who are the top performing organizations? Who are the mid performing organizations? And who are the low performing organizations? You can see the retention rate ranges there on your screen. But this is how we categorize them just to start to get a quick look as to what are the trends between these different tiers of performance. And the first thing we looked at is revenue. And so you can see on your screen, we got some fancy charts and lots of colors and percentages and all that stuff. I want to cut through all of the detail today and jump straight to you know, what do we really learn as we're analyzing this data in a variety of different ways. And really what we saw right off the top is that you know, as revenue increases, as organizations have larger budgets and resources, there are fewer low-performing organizations in terms of donor retention. Now, that doesn't guarantee that if you have more revenue, you have better retention, but the trend is that those who have more resources tend to have better retention rates, which kind of begs one of these chicken and egg questions. You know, is it having more revenue that leads to better retention because you have more resources to invest in trying to test into what are the best strategies? Or because you have better retention rates, is that what's leading to having more revenue because you have more donors that retain for the long term? Kind of a chicken and egg question. You can't really get to the bottom of it. So I want to jump to web traffic because that's another way we can kind of measure the size of an organization and see how that might impact retention. And so here's what we found just in a nutshell. Smaller web traffic organizations, this range is from zero to 50,000 site visits per year. The average retention rate for this kind of organization is 55%. This is not just online. It's not just offline. This is overall retention. And as your web traffic grows, the trend is that retention goes down slightly. So the average retention rate for a 5 million visits to your website per year organization, so very large web traffic, average retention rate is 45%. So what we're seeing is that as web traffic increases, retention rates tend to decrease slightly. Interesting, but I'm not quite sure what to do with that yet. But here's what I want to pull out for you. There's a ton of variance. This is a big monster chart, and I don't expect you to look and squint at every single little bar here. I'm showing you the data real quick, and we're going to move on. The trend is that as you have low web traffic, you tend to have higher retention. And as you get larger in web traffic, your retention tends to go down. But you can see there's high performers in every single category here. 
from low traffic to high traffic, you've got high performers and low performers. There's a lot of variance. So is retention simply a function of the size, sophistication, resources of your organization? No. Anyone can have good retention rates, regardless of how many resources you have, regardless of how much web traffic you have. So there's opportunity for all of us. The second question that we asked at this sort of higher level is, does retention vary by vertical? Which you probably already know the answer to. The answer is yes, but are there trends that we can spot about what might work as we look at verticals? So here's all the different categories of organizations that we looked at throughout this study, trying to get a good picture of the whole nonprofit marketplace. And here's the retention rates broken down by vertical categories. You can see the high performers, the mid performers, the low performers. We'll have all this data in the report you can dive into. But just at a high level, what we saw was that faith-based organizations and international organizations tended to have the most high-performing organizations, the most organizations with high retention rates, which I think is interesting because it prompts this question of, well, what is it about these verticals that might set them apart from others? And my working hypothesis, and I'll have you hold on to this thought for a moment, we'll revisit it in a minute here, is that these organizations tend to have donors who are invested for the long haul, focused on core beliefs and shared ideology and shared values. Even these international organizations, as you drill into the specifics of them, a lot of them are missions organizations that either have a rooting in a specific faith or at least a background coming from some sort of faith-based organization. And others are international relief organizations where there's always ongoing needs in the world to continue to invest in and make a difference in people's lives. So there's a long-term focus, long-term affinity, and a lot of shared core beliefs. On the flip side, health, public policy, and education organizations had the most low performers in terms of retention, which again makes you ask this question of, well, why? And so what I want to submit to you here is there's a couple commonalities between high performers and low performers, and it's helpful to sort of juxtapose these two against each other. These high-performing verticals again, tend to have very values-focused messaging, focusing on the shared core beliefs between the organization and their ideal donor. They have long-term focus in terms of what they're trying to impact, where some of these low-performing organizations can tend to be fairly current events-driven. A public policy organization, for example, might be focused on legislation that's being passed or trying to be passed today, but not necessarily focused on the long term. It's about what's happening in the moment. You also may have some sort of like temporary affinity for healthcare kind of organizations. I might make a tribute donation because a loved one or a friend or a family member was going through some health crisis or health journey, but I might not have a long-term affiliation with that specific organization. So sometimes for these low-performing categories, the focus can be a little bit more short-term rather than focused on the long-term and core beliefs. So that's my working hypothesis here is I think there's something for us all to learn from these high-performing organizations. And that, that is, how do we be more focused on shared values, core beliefs with a focus on the long-term? I don't want you to hear this and say, well, I'm in the education or vertical, and so we're just stuck with low retention rates. I want you to think outside the box and think beyond that. What can we learn from those who see high performance, and how do we take some of those strategies and go apply them in a new context? That would be my encouragement to you today. So, does retention vary by vertical? Heck yeah, it does. And I think there's a lot that we can learn from these high-performing verticals. But there's a very critical question that we have not answered yet, and it is, is retention simply just a matter of recurring donations? Are these high-performing verticals and high-performing organizations 
really just somehow better disposed to acquire recurring donors, or they've just spent more time building a recurring donation program. Here's what we found. As we split out these three different tiers of retention, and we looked at the percentage of their donor file that is made up of recurring donors. So we're looking, what's the average percentage of their donor files that are recurring donors? And you can see the clear trend here. Low performing organizations tend to have smaller recurring donor files. High performing organizations tend to have much larger recurring donor files. So you might quickly jump to this conclusion that high retention organizations have a high percentage of recurring donors. So absolutely all we just need to do is focus on recurring giving. That's the silver bullet. That's the secret ingredient. But I want to slow us down for a minute because yes, it's important. Yes, it's a key ingredient. But I looked back at the verticals and I wanted to look at, okay, we have high performing verticals and we're trying to learn some things from their practices. We have recurring donations, clearly an important ingredient but is it sort of the trump card or is there something deeper? So as we look at all these verticals and we look at the percentage of recurring donors coming through these organizations and these verticals, there's some kind of new data that comes to light. So here's the top performers in terms of verticals that have high recurring donor rates. And as you might assume, at least one of these has high retention performance, but it's actually a mix. Arts, culture, and humanities organizations tend to have high recurring donor rates as well but they're kind of mid-performers. It's not bad, but it's not amazing in terms of donor retention. They're right somewhere in the middle. And then these other two verticals that have high recurring giving rates, well, they actually have low retention. So what do we do with that? I think recurring giving is obviously an important ingredient, but it's not always the silver bullet trump card type of solution that's going to lead to high retention in the long term. It might be a combination of the two, which I think actually makes a lot of sense. So here's the working recipe that we're starting to come up with for high donor retention. On the one hand, we need values-focused fundraising, focusing on the long-term, understanding the core beliefs of our donors and aligning with those to make an impact on the things we care about for the long-term. And then it just naturally makes sense, doesn't it, that those people would be prime targets to ask to give you a recurring gift. If you're building a program based on shared values, core beliefs, long-term focus, then the conversation is natural to ask them to make an investment for the long term by becoming a recurring donor. So it might be the combination of these two things that can actually lead to high donor retention. The title of this session is The Most Important Ingredient for Donor Retention. And so here's what I want to submit to you today, and then we'll unpack this a little bit deeper, is that answering this question of why might be the most important ingredient in trying to improve donor retention for our organizations. Why should I give to you? Why should I give to you now, but why should I give to you in the long term or give to you a second time or 10 times or become a major donor and upgrade? We have to answer this core question of why. And it sounds a lot like how we typically talk about the value proposition. This is how we at Next After define the value proposition. If I'm your ideal donor, why should I give to you rather than to some other organization or even at all? This question happens in the mind of the donor, whether consciously or subconsciously, every time they consider giving a gift. We have to answer this question thoroughly on our donation pages. When we look at the value proposition, we typically look at it through four key elements. One of them is the appeal. How badly do I, the ideal donor, want to make this kind of an impact? Secondly, exclusivity. Can I, your donor, make this impact only through your organization or 
can I do this with other organizations? Are there similar organizations that could make the same claims as you? So it's everything to do with differentiation. How do you set yourself apart? Third, clarity. Do I quickly and do I easily understand what you're communicating? Or are you using more like jargon and insider kind of language that just sort of muddies the waters? And then fourth, credibility. Do I believe you? And do I trust you? I hear what you're saying, but do I believe you enough to actually part with my money and entrust it to you to go make the impact that you say that you can make? This is typically how we look at the effectiveness of a value proposition. And so for the remainder of this study, we looked at these overarching kind of elements about web traffic and revenue and verticals and recurring donations, but how are we actually doing in terms of value proposition? If answering this why question is so important, are we doing the right things in order to lead to good retention down the road? And the very first thing we looked at in terms of analyzing the specifics of the value proposition in the donation process might be surprising. We didn't actually look at the donation page first. We looked at the home page and asked this question, how easily can I find where to give? Is it clear, remember that's one of our elements, clarity, is it clear where to even start the journey? If I'm a motivated donor who shows up on your homepage, is it clear where I actually go to make a gift? We looked at a lot of other questions around this as well, but I'll just focus on one for the sake of time today. We looked at the donate button visibility. Is it clear and apparent on the homepage where to click to go make a gift? And what we found was that nearly a third of organizations, 31%, had a very low contrast, low visibility donation link on their homepage, which means it's really actually hard to find where to give. You can see in this example at the top, they've got a yellow donate button that clearly jumps out from the background, high contrast, clear visibility. And then down below in this other example, the give now link just sort of blends into the navigation. It's got the same color. It's got the same styling and design treatment. It's not on the far right where you might typically expect it. It sort of just blends into all the other calls to action. Low contrast, low visibility. Now you might say, well, does this really matter? If someone's motivated to give, they can spend another two, three seconds to figure out where the button is, right? Here's what experimentation would tell us. This organization ran a very similar experiment where version A of their navigation has the donate button. Can you find it? Maybe you can squint and you can see it. It blends right into the rest of the navigation. Same design, same styling, same treatment as everything else in the navigation. They tested not doing anything really that profound, they just wrapped it in a purple box so that it pops right out of the navigation. You can see it as soon as you land on the page. And what it led to might surprise you, a 190% increase in people actually giving from the homepage, simply because they made it clear and easy to see where the button was. So what might be something we typically overlook or maybe don't care or don't think is gonna be so impactful might actually be one of the most simple and impactful things that you can do right now to provide clarity to someone considering giving to you. We unpack a lot of data around retention rates and how they relate to clarity in the process. And here's really what we found is that donor retention is not dependent on a lack of clarity or vice versa or a huge amount of clarity in your website navigation, but, a lack of clarity can keep someone from giving in the first place. We have to, if we want to have good donor retention rates, we have to acquire the donor <laughs> the first time. And then when they come back to our homepage or to other places on our website to consider giving again, we need to make it abundantly clear where to give. It's impactful at the point of conversion. Even just simply having a purple button versus not purple button, we can't draw a clear trend line to retention. We know we have to convert donations and having clarity in the process can help. Secondly, is there value-focused copy on the donation page? 
We're not even getting into the quality of the copy yet. We're just looking to see, is there something there? You might be surprised as to how many donation pages have no copy whatsoever on them. So this is the question that we asked, one of many questions we asked, are there at least four sentences of copy on the page? And what we found was that nearly two thirds of organizations, 63% had less than four sentences of copy on their donation page. Again, this isn't even looking at the quality of that copy, but that means most organizations have little to no information on the page explaining why someone should even give. They're assuming that someone is completely ready and completely motivated by the time they give to the page to actually part with their money and trust you with it. When in reality, through experimentation, what we have seen is that you have to have copy and you can never assume that someone is fully motivated to give until they've actually given. A couple examples you can see on your screen. You can see this Donation page on the top left it has four plus sentences of copy. It's got some clear bullet points talking about different ways you can make an impact through your gift. Or version B basically just has some address information, a single line of copy. It's just not really enough to really articulate why I should give. And when we look at a real donation page experiments, we see version A here just has a couple sentences. It's got a headline, you make Kelly's website possible. And then it's got a simple sentence below. When you give to CaringBridge, you ensure that Kelly's private protected place to share health updates and connect with the community of support will always be there. Two simple sentences. Version B, what they tested was adding an additional headline or an additional sentence that now says, this website helps Kate stay connected to family and friends. It's not even at the four sentence mark. It's only at three sentences, but this additional headline is trying to increase clarity, communicate value in the headline about why someone should give, and just that one additional sentence led to a 21% increase in donations. So again, we cannot assume that someone is fully motivated to give just because they land on the donation page or click the donate button. We have to communicate why they should give throughout the process. Now, these one-off tactics about should you have four sentences or eight sentences or all that sort of stuff, these one-off tactics have minimal impact on long-term retention. But again, Donation page copy can greatly improve performance right at the point of conversion. And if we're not converting people well on the donation page, how can we ever expect them to retain well if we aren't doing the essential things to actually help them say yes at the point of giving? The third main question that we asked in this process is this. How strong is the value proposition copy? This is starting to get into the actual quality of the words on the page. And again, there's lots of different questions. There's lots of different data points that we're looking at to try to understand this. We'll just look at a couple here briefly, but I wanna start with just a couple experiments around the strength of the value proposition copy. So you can see clearly how important it is. This organization, version A of their donation page has two sentences of copy. It says, Illinois' comeback story starts here, together we're writing the next chapter of Illinois' comeback story. Two sentences, not a lot of context, that's version A. Version B has a whole lot more copy that is focused on helping the ideal donor understand what's the problem, what is the solution, how does your donation actually make an impact on the solution to solve the problem that you've articulated, and then it makes a clear call to action. This is a strong value proposition page. And look, it actually takes several paragraphs of copy to fully articulate why someone should give. But by doing so, it led to a 150% increase in donations. This is not an isolated experiment. This is not just a one-off tactic. We've seen this many, many, many times over. Here's another one quickly. Version A just has a headline. 
Version B unpacks in depth with paragraphs and bullet points why someone should give. What's the impact that your gift can actually make? Who is it helping? What's the problem it's trying to solve? What are the different types of initiatives that your gift is actually going to make an impact on or empower? Clear call to action, and it led to a 116% increase in donations. So as we're conducting this donor experience analysis, this mystery donor research, what we were looking for is those four value proposition elements, and we're scoring them on a scale of one to three. Related to the appeal, how badly do I want to make this impact? We're asking, as an ideal donor, as best as we can put ourselves in their shoes, is there no interest at all in making this impact? Or is it really high? Like, this is what I wake up in the morning passionate about. I want to see this change happen in the world. That would be a three. Exclusivity. Can I make this impact anywhere else? Are you saying things that are really vague, like give hope? Most organizations could say give hope. So you should be more specific. Are you using vague language like that? That's probably a one. Or if you're being very specific and exclusive and no one else can make these claims besides your organization, that would be a three. I can make this impact only here. Nowhere else can I make this impact. Third, clarity. How quickly, how easily do I understand your words? A one would be, I have got to like scratch my head and think about it. And I still might not walk away with a lot of clarity about what you're actually asking me to do. A three would be, Yes, I get it. You're using clear language. You're communicating without using jargon or insider terms or anything like that. That would be a three. I have a quick and easy, instant understanding of the words on your page. And then fourth, credibility. Do I believe what you're claiming is true? Do I trust you? Maybe you're saying things that are true about the impact that you can make, but it's just really hard to believe because your claims are so lofty or they're not supported with other data or evidentials. Or is it really easy for me to believe you and to trust you because maybe you've used testimonials or reviews or you have things like Charity Navigator Seals and GuideStar Seals as third-party credibility boosters to help someone trust that what you're saying is true. This is how we're scoring the value proposition. And what we found overall is that the average overall score for a nonprofit organization is a 1.7 out of 3. That's not great. It's not as bad as it could be, but it's definitely not great. And all across the board, you can see all these scores are fairly similar. There's a couple little outliers here that we'll point out, but across the board, there's lots of opportunity to improve. The highest average score was a 2.0 for these mid-performing retention organizations in terms of clarity. Clarity overall was the highest scoring category. So we're better at being clear than we actually are about communicating why someone should give in the first place. So we have some room to improve, and this should actually be good news for us. I don't say this to kind of make fun and to make light, but to actually give you good news that there is room to improve the ways that we're communicating. And if we can do that, it might actually lead to greater donations and then hopefully better retention in the long term. Credibility had the worst scores on average. There's not a lot of organizations on their donation page that are going out of their way to try to build trust in the process. Again, using things like testimonials or quotes or reviews, etc., to build trust. They're assuming that the donors trust them. They're not trying to build it in the process. So we have room to improve there as well. Here's really the key takeaway that I want you to keep in mind as it relates to the strength of our copy and our value proposition. Every organization regardless of size, regardless of vertical, has a tremendous opportunity to improve the strength of your value proposition. And as you've seen through some of these experiments, the impact that it can make is worth the time and the investment to get it right. 
150% increase in donations is worth the cost and the time cost of sitting down, talking to donors, talking internally, coming up with ideas, putting them to the test to really see what actually works. Now, I'd be remiss if we walked away today and you didn't have anything practical to actually go implement. We've talked about a lot of like high level ideas and theories around how do we improve retention. But where I wanna land here is looking at a few practical things that you can do. So actual experiments that you can run related to value proposition. These are very common ones that we will often run right out of the gate as we start working with a new organization or that we teach on and we see other organizations who are experimenting start here first. The first one is what we call the nothing to something test, which basically looks like this experiment we just looked at, where you have almost no copy on your page, which again, 31% of you are in this boat. You have less than four sentences of copy on your page. So this applies to many of you out there today. If your page looks something like this with minimal copy on it, try or better yet, test a version like this where you spend some time to clearly articulate your value proposition. Again, why should I give to you rather than some other organization or even at all? And write a couple paragraphs of copy that fully articulate why someone should give because it might just lead to 150% increase in donations. That's number one. Number two, common experiment number two, use text and not a video. If you've been through any of our trainings on donation pages before, maybe you've seen this experiment, but this kind of flies in the face of common thinking about video and its impact on donations because video is a really powerful storyteller. But what we have found is it might not be the best medium to communicate on a donation page. Version A of this page uses a video. It's about three minutes long. It's highly produced. It's really good. It explains why you should give to this organization. Version B replaces that video with copy, with text that communicates the same reasons to give just in a different medium and a different format. Text on a page is actually clearer and leads to, in this case, a 527% increase in donations. And you might say, that's just one organization, that's a totally random experiment, that's never gonna apply to me. We have seen the same experiment lead to almost identical results at least five different times. So before you say, oh, we're different and our pages are different and our donors are different, put it to the test, please. If you prove me wrong, awesome, then you'll know. But you might be leaving a 527% increase in donations on the table if you don't put this to the test. Third, value proposition doesn't just apply to a donation page. It's actually the holistic experience that someone has with your organization. Everything that they have learned and know about you impacts how they perceive you and their trust in you and their likelihood of giving to you. And so this applies to other channels like email. And so this is one that you can actually put to the test as well. Email like a human being. Version A of this email looks like what you see on your screen. There's a lot of copy in it, but there's also a lot of design in it. It's got logos, donate buttons, hero images. It's got progress bars. It's got text formatting. It's got HTML donate buttons. It's got a picture of the sender. It looks really nice. It looks like a great, you know, kind of typical marketing email. Probably they spent a lot of time to make sure it shows up well across all the different email platforms, all that sort of stuff. Version B looks very different. The copy is exactly the same, but they have removed all of the different design pieces. There's probably some other things they could do to make it look even more like a plain text style email that I might send to you right out of Gmail, but they've done a lot to remove the design from the email. And what they saw was a 29% increase in donations. It's doing a couple of things. It's helping 
Gmail or the other email platforms actually trust it more because it doesn't look like a marketing email. So you're actually more likely to make it to the primary inbox. It looks like a real piece of communication from a real person. But secondly, it's building credibility and trust with the actual person who might open it because it doesn't look or smell like marketing. It feels like an email that comes from an authentic human being. And I would rather communicate with a person than just be on the other end of some marketing campaign. So it's building credibility in the process. We've covered a lot and a lot of ground from high level things to some really practical things. So I wanna to start to fill out our recipe card here of what we have started to decode goes into this secret recipe for high performing donor retention. We need to have values focused fundraising, aligning to the core beliefs of our donors, focusing on the long term. We need to have a strong recurring giving program. And it just flows naturally if you're talking about the long term impact that someone can make. Why don't we ask them to become a recurring donor and be with us for the long term? Third, we need clarity in the giving process, even things as simple as making the donate button clear, but all the way down to being clear in our words. We need to have copy on the donation page. And that copy needs to be strong copy, strong value proposition copy, answering that core value proposition question. But then there might also be a secret ingredient. We don't know yet. We're still testing. We're still trying to decode what actually works. And this is where I want to finish, is kind of circling back to my grandma and her secret spaghetti recipe. Because I have tried so many times to get this recipe right tweaking the amount of Worcestershire sauce that goes into it, trying different kinds of sausage in it, testing how long to actually simmer the sauce with the sausage links in it. And every single time you get a little bit closer. If you've ever tried to decode a family recipe like that, you've probably felt the same thing where you cook it, you're excited about it, you taste it, you're like, this is the time, this is gonna be the one, you taste it and you're like, it's really good, but it's not exactly the way that grandma used to make it, right? This happens, I think, to all of us if you're trying to decode one of these recipes. Because the reason it was so good obviously has to do with the secret ingredient, in this case, Worcestershire sauce, and to use the whole bottle or just a tablespoon, we don't know. But really the most important thing is that what made it so good is the person who was making it. Because my grandma was spending time and effort and energy and love and investment in her kids and in her grandkids to go make this for us. And I think there's a lesson that we can learn here too. It's easy for us to justify spending more money on acquiring new donors. The math there is easier. You're looking at cost per donor and what's the instant value of those donors on our acquisition campaigns. But retention is a long-term investment. The math is harder, so the budgets are harder to justify. But I think the secret ingredient for us to actually decode what works is to spend the time, the energy, the intention, the investment in our donors in testing and optimization to really decode what truly works for our organizations to actually see a meaningful impact on donor retention for the long term. Last thing for you, you can go ahead and scan this QR code if you'd like to be the first to access this brand new report. It's not quite ready. There's a couple little tweaks I still wanna to make to it before I send it your way. But if you scan this QR code, you can fill out the form and sign up to be on the list to receive it as soon as it's ready to go, which should be later this week. So I'll give you a second to scan that, go sign up for it, and then we'll get you that report very, very soon. Thank you, everyone. This has been a blast. If you've got further questions, feel free to shoot me a note, Nathan at nextafter.com. Happy to answer as many questions as I can. And that's a wrap, folks. Thanks for tuning in this week to the Responsive Nonprofit Podcast. We are so grateful for your time. 
We know how busy you are and consider it a privilege to journey alongside you as you work to make change in our world. We believe in you and would love to hear from you. Projects like this are only as good as the feedback we get, the guests who come on, and all the topics we get to discuss. So if you have an idea, if you know of an impactful guest that must come on the show, or if you want to be a part of the responsive community, check us out over at virtuous.org backslash podcast and join the conversation. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite station. Your mission needs your collective talent and passion. So go forth and lead the charge forward and we'll be here cheering you on. We'll see you next week.